Hey guys, welcome to another podcast with Emergency Medical Minute. I'm Rachel and I'll be hosting today. Our topic today is one of the sexiest topics in emergency medicine, and that is of urinary tract infection. This is the Emergency Medical Minute. Real, raw, relevant emergency medical education. Enjoy the show. We are lucky to have Heidi Wald here with us today. Heidi, can you tell me a little bit about your practice and your involvement in UTIs? Great. Absolutely. Thanks, Rachel. I'm excited to be chatting about this very um, important topic. Um, So I am uh, a geriatrician with internal medicine training I am uh, faculty at University of Colorado, where I'm an associate professor, and my clinical practice is in the acute setting. I'm kind of a geriatrician hospitalist, so we have an acute care for the elderly unit where we uh, admit patients, preferably over the age of 75, with acute medical issues. Um, And so urinary tract infection is one of our very common diagnoses, as you might imagine. Um, And I became very interested. I actually started uh, doing a lot of work. I do research in patient safety. And one of the areas of interest I had many years ago was um, the use of Foley catheters in uh, frail elderly patients and uh, became kind of the catheter-associated UTI specialist um, at the university and ran our quality improvement work around reduction of CAUDIs for many years. Actually had some federally funded grants um, looking um, at different aspects of um, surveillance and prevention. Uh, And then I started to move a bit more into the area of uh, antimicrobial stewardship for UTI, but even more particularly diagnostic stewardship is what I'm calling it. So where we really want to be sure that the things that we're calling UTI and treating as UTI are in fact real clinical infections. And um, uh, that in, that interest led me to be involved with Colorado Hospital Association, where we uh, put on a 27-hospital antimicrobial stewardship collaborative, which just wrapped up this May. And uh, one of our areas of focus was uh, 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 both diagnosis and treatment of urinary tract infection. And we actually saw um, the kind of guideline concordant diagnoses go up and the use of um, fluoroquinolones as uh, first-line treatment go down. So we were really uh, pleased with that success. So uh, I guess I have multidimensional experience in the UTI space. Well, thank you for giving us a little bit of background about you as well as about your interest in this area. Um, today, we are actually going to be talking about debunking some myths surrounding urinary tract infection and diagnosis, as you explained. Um, so the first one that we're going to be chatting about is any change in status is likely to be a urinary tract infection. Um, would you like to speak to that for us and tell us your feelings about that statement? All right, absolutely. So I think um, I think there are a lot of myths around urinary tract infection, and you know, um, a lot of my focus is going to be on the elderly um, 
So uh, because I think it's such a common diagnosis in the elderly um, and uh, a very confusing um, diagnostic problem. So, um, and one of the old saws is, you know, that any change in a, a, a frail older patient's condition, particularly one with dementia, um, could be a UTI. Um, and we need to go looking for it, and we need to treat it. And while it's true that there are nonspecific symptoms that are associated with really any infection in the elderly, um, the positive predictive value of any of those nonspecific symptoms for a, an infection of the urinary tract is quite poor. And um, really... Uh, the CDC and all of the um, infectious diseases professional societies and the geriatric societies all agree that to be diagnosed with a UTI, uh, you really need to have some sort of localizing symptom. So falls, for instance, are generally not a localizing system, symptom that is predictive of uh, UTI. Uh, confusion is a real uh, difficult one and um, I can speak to that specifically in a second, but, and, and just, you know, lethargy, ma's not right today, um, is one that you might hear less energy, stopped eating. Um, those are really, there's no reason that that points to the urinary tract over anything else. Um, and so, um, and, and there's a danger, um, to, immediately thinking UTI for any change in condition. And the danger is that you're going to then go test. And if you test, you're going to send a UA um, that'll come back really quickly and maybe a culture will be cooking or maybe you'll wait for the UA. And the problem is in a frail older patient, the urinary tract is uh, not as sterile um, and uh, organ system as it, it is in the uh, younger patient. And so, you know, the concept of asymptomatic colonization or asymptomatic bacteriuria is one that was really first described in the young pregnant population. In that population, it's important to treat uh, because it avoids pyelonephritis later on. Turns out that asymptomatic bacteria is well described in the frail older population, in the nursing home eligible population, um, north of a third of the population, um, depending on what study you look at, maybe up to 50% of women and um, same types of uh, numbers for men as well have a urinary tract that is colonized with bacteria. So it is no longer that sterile space that it is in the younger person. So this is because of physiologic changes of aging. So if you, it turns out then that the common tests we send on the urine are actually really poor predictors. And so um, unless you have symptoms that point in some way to the urinary tract, um, the, a positive UA is actually probably only, is not helpful at all. And a negative UA is really, you know, the only time where it's helpful. Um, so uh, the, uh, the, the issue of confusion um, in an older patient uh, comes up a lot. And again, it's one of those things that it just turns out that um, 
confusion is no more likely to point to the urinary tract than anywhere um, than it is to point to anything else. A lot of times in these older patients, it's simply dehydration. And what we do is, you know, tell the families to push fluids, right? They're just not hydrating. Or we tell the nursing homes to push fluids and see uh, how they do. But, you know, if you can't elicit tenderness, discomfort of any sort, um, then, you know, we don't recommend going to look at the urinary tract um, unless you have some symptom pointing you there. Well, thanks for debunking that first myth, Heidi. Um, the second myth that we wanted to talk about is that the urine is sterile and therefore a positive UA always means infection and requires an antibiotic. You definitely alluded to that in your last answer, um, but if you wanted to expand on that thought, um, that would be great. Yes, absolutely. So I, I started kind of going into the concept of asymptomatic bacteria. And um, I think I drew a you know difference between the population that was first described and in the elderly population. So there is a um, in the pregnant population, right? There is a consequence for not treating asymptomatic bacteria. So in the frail elderly population, is there a consequence? And it turns out that actually very good studies in the older population suggest that there really is no clinical benefit to treating asymptomatic bacteria with antibiotics. So this is a really important point. And when I say good studies, you know, most of the time elderly patients are excluded from, from trials. But in, um, I think I, in the last review I looked at, there might have been six um, different trials in, um, and these are, you know, at the level of randomized controlled trials in both community-dwelling frail elderly and nursing home residing uh, uh, frail elderly that uh, treatment of asymptomatic bacteria made no difference in future development of sepsis um, uh, or, or symptomatic urinary tract infection um, if you looked out uh, forward. What it did do, it turns out that um, a large proportion of those patients just become colonized again. Um, and of course, now you've exposed them to antibiotics. And actually, C. diff is a you know increasing problem in our nursing homes. We know that our nursing home patients probably pass it back and forth to the hospital. Um, and so, you know, minimizing unnecessary uh, antibiotic exposure in this population uh, is very important. So, so um, I would I would also um, cite some other evidence that treatment of asymptomatic bacteria has been studied in other populations. Um, so patients with catheters, uh, chronic indwelling uh, Foley catheters, uh, patients with diabetes um, who have asymptomatic bacteria um, who are not frail elders but um, uh, adults with uh, diabetes, um, there's not a lot of data to treat asymptomatic bacteria in most populations. And speaking of treating um, asymptomatic bacteria, um, we would, of course, be alluding to using an antibiotic. And I think one of the common myths is that um, antibiotics don't cause harm and that it's a fairly benign thing to give a patient. Um, we all feel pretty comfortable. We'd rather treat than not treat. Um, it's definitely something that I deal with. And as a pharmacist, I'm very passionate about, you know, withholding antibiotics when it's not appropriate. Um, could you speak to that myth? All right, great. Happy to talk about this one. And I wanted to point out that I, I didn't just kind of make these myths up out of the air. There's actually qualitative data um, 
that looked at common errors in decision-making around UTI diagnosis and treatment. And this is one of them that, you know, well, it's not going to hurt, right? Antibiotics are one of the more benign things that we do in medicine. Um, what's, what's the problem with treating? So, so we've already mentioned that uh, treating doesn't have any clinical benefit, treating asymptomatic bacteria. Um, and I've also talked about, you know, some of the potential side effects of antibiotics, right? So in our elderly patients, obviously we have to worry about the usual side effects, uh, rashes, etc. Um, there's actually a well-described correlation between certain an- antibiotics and development of delirium. Um, and I think uh, the quinolones are on that list. Uh, there are also of course, the horrible impact of C. diff in this older population, which I mentioned previously, and also just the public health issues related to spreading C. diff around. Um, Colorado has uh, a, an increasing C. diff rate. Um, we're, we're, uh, it's probably our, uh, maybe our number one uh, issue from the point of view of the um, hospital-acquired infections right now and um, concerning uh, uh, microbes that we have in the community. Um, and then finally, just in general, antimicrobial resistance, right? So this is one of these, you know, public health issues that when you're treating the individual patient is really hard to keep in mind. But there are statistics, you know, if you go in and culture frail elderly patients in nursing homes, uh, you know, something like 50% of them are actually colonized with a multidrug-resistant organism. And these folks, right, you know, they get 90% of nursing home residents see an antibiotic prescription each year, and many of them are getting multiple antibiotic prescriptions, and some of that prescribing happens as they're traveling back and forth to emergency departments. And so, you know, minimizing the burden of antibiotics in the frail older population is an important public health issue. Plus, just for their own uh, treatment, um, then, you know, when they are colonized with these multidrug-resistant bugs in their Foley catheter or whatever, then they end up getting big guns antibiotics that they're exposed to subsequently. So it ends up being a bit of a vicious cycle. I couldn't agree more with those statements about overprescribing. Um, the fourth myth that we wanted to talk about is that we always feel like we need to provide a diagnosis to a patient. As if we don't give them a clear answer, they walk away feeling like, why did I come to the ER? Or why did I come see the physician? Um, can you speak a little bit to diagnosis? Yes, absolutely. So, and I think there are a couple of aspects to this. So I hope I can remember all of them. But the, I think this is a really hard thing for emergency medicine uh, providers. And I, you know, I work very closely with the ED docs in my institution. Um, I also was vice chair for quality in our department of medicine for over five years and ran the um, morbidity mortality conferences and the peer review. Um, And also as just an attending physician on the inpatient side, I'm the recipient of a lot of patients that come through the ED. And I know that it's not just the families and the patients that want a diagnosis, although they are up there, but I know that the docs in the inpatient side are like, why are you admitting this patient? What's the diagnosis? They expect you to have it all wrapped up. So I know there's a lot of pressure. And the problem is that um, they, you know, other people, other providers put a lot of 
um, stock into the labels that get attached to patients when they're in the emergency department. And that's called, um, you know, diagnostic momentum, essentially, in terms of cognitive errors. So once a person gets labeled with a UTI, you know, everyone goes, okay, now they're on the pathway for the UTI, and we're going to use our drug of choice for UTI in this setting, and we're kind of done thinking. Um, and it's a danger. Um, and I kind of make a little bit of a side hobby out of collecting cases in frail older patients that were called UTI that later turned out to be a stroke or ascending cholangitis um, or, you know, something else. Um, and several of them have had, you know, delays in diagnosis, which is problematic, but also really bad outcomes. And so I would just... Um, be careful. I think UTI in a frail older patient ends up being kind of a catch-all diagnosis, like something's not right and they had a positive UA. Um, and I think there's a danger in that for the patients. Um, I do also, the other thing that this reminded me of was talking about pressure from the patients and families, because I think we've kind of conditioned them to think that every change in the patient's status is going to be a urinary tract infection. And so I'm sure that they're asking the nursing home providers and they're asking the ED providers for antibiotics. And I think educating patients and families takes a lot of time. Um, and uh, it's not always easy to do. And um, one of the projects I'm involved in right now is working with patient and family stakeholders in the nursing home long-term care community in, in the Denver metro area. And we've created, based on um, their needs, some informational tools to help them. So we have, uh, we're, we're in the last stages of developing um, a flyer that can be handed out and also a little video about, you know, what is a UTI? What are antibiotics? Because believe it or not, a lot of people really don't understand antibiotics and the harms and benefits. And then, or, or the fact that they would ever be prescribed inappropriately. Um, and then um, uh, what we're going to do instead of just throwing an antibiotic at someone. Yes, I agree. And working in the ER, we get a lot of patients that are sent over from nursing homes um, because there's just something not right. And we're expected to come up with that diagnosis. And a lot of the times it does lead us down the pathway of, well, it's probably a urinary tract infection. They get an antibiotic. Um, the last myth we wanted to chat about is that nursing homes can't diagnose a urinary tract infection appropriately. Um, so could you speak to that and maybe where we could uh, decrease the number of patients that get transferred over to the ER for a couple hours and and then immediately transferred back to their nursing home? Yeah, I think this is very hard um, because it's always hard to walk in the other folks' shoes. Um, the nursing homes, and, and our Denver community has been focused on this issue for a while, so I think practice in Denver around diagnosing UTI is probably as good as it is anywhere in the country. Um, nonetheless, um, and, and so, you know, we have to know what they can and cannot do in a nursing home, um, right? The docs are not there um, most of the time, and nor are the NPs or PAs, right? It's really um, uh, a lot of CNAs and one nurse and no in-house testing um, and really no in-house uh, pharmacy only what is on the patient's MAR. So they're just really limited um, in uh, diagnostic uh, capacity. So they are, I'd say, you know, looking and I do chart review and uh, collect data in nursing homes. So I know that the vast majority of things that are uh, considered UTIs 
are treated and taken care of entirely um, in the nursing home, um, unless a family's demanding that the patient gets sent to the emergency room, which is a you know a special circumstance. Um, if uh, they if they think it's a UTI, a simple UTI they're probably not sending it in. So they're sending in for other, you know, agitation they can't control there. Um, obviously, anything that looks like sepsis, <laughs> they're sending in. They, you know, they don't, they just don't have the ability to handle that in-house. Um, but, you know, my impression is that they can diagnose UTI. They probably overdose, uh, overdiagnose UTIs just the way everybody else does. Um, but that when they're sending a patient to the emergency department, they're probably really not sure what's going on. That's really tricky because, you know, a lot of assessing a nursing home patient is knowing what their baseline is. And so here you are kind of stuck with uh, a patient and, you know, well, they've got a positive UA. <laughs> you know, can we can we pin it on the urine? And I, I, and I think it's a hard situation. So I think you know, understanding the nursing home community that's referring to you, having relationships um, with those docs, making sure that um, clear communication is ha well, what, what was happening and why I know that, you know, they do send over documentation, but somehow it doesn't always have the information that we need. Um, so I think it's a really hard problem. But my guess is that if they're sending someone over, um, they probably don't think it's a UTI. Um, cause that they can diagnose and, and they often will, you know, treat empirically while they're waiting for the urine to come back. Or if the patient's not sick, they'll, um, they'll, you know, they'll watch them for a couple of days, hydrate them, wait for the urine to come back and then make a decision about treatment. And Heidi, you mentioned, um, of course, they'll send patients over if they think that it could be leading to sepsis or something like that. And one of our biggest challenges in the ER is that, of course, we want to treat sepsis as quickly as possible with antibiotics. It's one of the few interventions that has improved mortality is early appropriate antibiotic therapy. Um, but on the flip side, what does that do for our antimicrobial stewardship and maybe over-treating something that is not actually a urinary tract infection? Yeah, so I don't think I have an easy answer to this. I think it's a real conundrum for the antimicrobial stewardship um, community and the initiatives to um, to improve stewardship. Certainly, you know, if patient has you know vital sign abnormalities consistent with sepsis, um, you know, or other findings consistent with sepsis then go ahead and treat, right? You know, I'm, I think that, you know, and, um, and you're going to, you know, I think it's the patient who's really just kind of different today. Um, there's really nothing else suggesting sepsis The you know, ah, they fell, um, uh, they have cloudy urine in their Foley, right? We know that a Foley catheter is going to be colonized within days um, and that, you know, they've got a foreign body. And so they're going to have pyuria and bacteria, you know, so, you know, there are, there's a lot of low hanging fruit, I think, before we get to the, oh, this patient is looking quasi septic, but I don't want to treat that UTI. I mean, that's not a situation we want you to be in. Um, and then of course it is incumbent on the inpatient teams to, recognize, okay, we treated and it was appropriate decision at the moment, but then we, we actually grew out nothing. We didn't find a source. The patient got better with hydration and let's stop antibiotics. Now we do not need to complete a course 
just because we started it. So a couple of complicated things in there. I, I worry that, um, you know, with the newer um, uh, guidance coming out and different, like the QSOFA, et cetera, that people are going to get very hung up on confusion. Um, when I talk about confusion in the frail elderly being associated with infection, and again, this kind of goes back to something I talked about in the first myth, you know, when I talk about confusion, I'm talking about delirium. Um, and I'm not just talking about, you know, different, um, lethargic, not eating, whatever it is. I'm really talking about an acute change in mental status that's waxing and waning, right? That, that, um, you know, that you could, um, use a cam tool or another tool, um, to diagnose because, um, even in the, in the UTI world, again, um, even if you're, um, most of the time when in the frail elderly patient, when they call something confusion and they want to associate it with urinary findings, um, they're really, they're not being very rigorous about um, de- really diagnosing delirium. And so I think that could be, you know, a, a pointer that can help you is, you know, not saying is this patient off or different, but like, are they really delirious? And if I think they're delirious, then you know, in a catheterized patient, I don't have a lot else to go on because they don't always have urinary symptoms. Um, in a non-catheterized patient, even the CDC, you know, doesn't accept delirium alone as a criteria for a UTI. So um, it's uh, it's complicated, um, but um, I ask you to, you know, with the con- in the constraints that you have um, of time and you know, need to treat sepsis to, you know, be thoughtful about, uh, do we really think that the UTI, that, that UTI is causing falls in this guy? You know, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. What about, you know, the bradycardia? What about the new um, uh, medication that they're on? You know, what about, um, uh, you know, the anticholinergics? What about the fact that they don't have a walker that fits them, right? You know, they're, they're, there's a big differential diagnosis for anything in an elderly patient, and it's just so easy to send the UA and reach for the antibiotic. So Heidi, are there any topics or points that we didn't chat about that you would like to make sure that our listeners hear today about urinary tract infection and diagnosis? Well, I think we uh, hit on all the big points, but I, I'll reiterate, you know, the bottom line is that uh, to diagnose UTI, you need uh, both a symptom that's consistent with urinary tract infection and, you know, refers to the urinary tract uh, and also a positive urine culture. And obviously that comes a little bit later. Um, so the symptoms that are, um, that you're really looking for, right, are the uh, CVA pain or tenderness, CVA being costovertebral angle, the suprapubic pain or tenderness, new gross hematuria, uh, new or marked increase in incontinence, urgency, or frequency. So, you know, real changes. Um, And any of those can be associated with a fever or an elevated white count. So those are the really the things that are in the formal definitions of urinary tract infection. One thing I don't think I hit on enough was that the, again, you know, I think I meant, you know, I mentioned several times, right, the UA itself not that helpful. Um, the the catheterized urine for sure will always have uh, white cells in it. 
and uh, after a couple days almost always have bacteria in it. It's just not helpful to look at that urine. The other thing is just a visual, like your eyeball test of the urine has actually been studied. It's not that helpful, right? Um, the change in the color, I mean, unless it's hematuria, um, uh, consistent with cystitis, right? The change in color, so darker urine, um, cloudy urine, uh, urinary sediment, those things, not helpful, right? It depends on if you're hydrated, what you ate that day, uh, what meds you're taking, etc. Um, and so that fluctuates um, from day to day and is not necessarily associated with urinary tract infection. Um, the other one that you get a lot, you'll hear a lot, I'm sure, is the urine smells bad, right? And that's another one, not helpful. Um, so don't hang your hat on what the urine smells like or looks like, um, or and you can't always hang your hat on the UA either. Um, really try and elicit those localizing symptoms. All right, that was a good final thought, Heidi. Thank you so much, Heidi, for being with us today and um, talking about this very important topic in emergency medicine, one that we see a lot in the ER. Um, so thank you all for listening to Emergency Medical Minute podcast today.